and, uh, and uh, the boat's been around for uh, at least a year or so, and uh, it's been tried offshore in a couple of uh, offshore races. Now, uh, he has just set off to sail nonstop, unassisted, oldest person ever around the world. And he left about a week and a half ago. He's probably uh, down past Bermuda, headed for the Cape of Good Hope or some such at the present time, you know. Mm -hmm. And he has uh, taken 150 days' worth of food and 120 days' worth of scotch <laughs> to motivate himself. <laughs> and this man is, uh, what, he's uh, 76 years old, uh, Stanley, uh, and he has some experience as well, so... There's a good chance that he can pull this off. Now, his boat is uh, fairly extraordinary here. says it's a 63-foot carbon fiber yacht that can do as much as 27 knots in stormy conditions. That's incredible for a monohull. Yeah. That yeah. 27 knots is, yeah, yeah that's, that's very fast. Yeah, that's literally just about out of the water. Just about surfing. Yeah. Um, it says, no novice to extreme challenges, Paris. Has driven across America on a motorcycle in less than 48 hours now. You've got to break <laughs> some speed limits there, Let buddy. Let me do the math on that. Jeez, <laughs> come on. That can't be. Oh, man. So anyway, uh, also completed a world championship Ironman triathlon at age 45, and he swam the English Channel twice. He's already raced uh, Kiwi Spirit to Bermuda from Marblehead and uh, Halifax, uh, blah, blah, you know, so... Uh, Interesting fellow, and he took off from Thomaston, Maine, uh, yeah. uh, on the first of the month here. Yeah, headed around the world nonstop with uh, just so much scotch. Yeah, style Sco scotch and uh, a thrill a minute, boy. I, I don't know. I, I personally, I don't even like taking any kind of alcohol when I'm going offshore. Just there's so many unexpected things that can happen. I want to have full control of my facilities. But. Um, I would agree with that too, but uh, um. You know, stress relievers, uh, small channel changers, uh, you know, a little bit of uh, can be not a bad thing, and too much is definitely way out of. Um, oh, yeah. I have a story about a gin mutiny we can never tell on boat talk. There are several books about yeah. that sort of thing, yes. Yeah. Trash Man comes to mind. Trash Man, good one, yes. Classic uh, boat that we all knew left from the Hinckley Company and uh, sank on a delivery uh, with an alcoholic captain and uh, didn't end well in the life raft either. And, mm. One fellow went out for beer. He, uh, you know, felt the need to leave the life raft, go out for beer. He hadn't been seen since either. So, yeah. yeah. Um, them sailors. Hey, speaking of them sailors, did you see on the TV last week, there was a fellow off of, uh, he's a charter boat captain down in the Florida Keys. And he was in his uh, outboard, uh, you know, T-top kind of boat, uh, twin 200s on the back sort of thing. And he was surrounded by water spouts. And the, there's film of this. It was on all the newscasts. And uh, one time he was surrounded and doing slalom between five water spouts. Now, water spout is a tornado on the water. Yeah. You've seen one. I have I I saw it from a distance, and I wanted to keep my distance, that's for sure. Actually, I saw several, but there was only a couple that actually touched down. Yeah. This guy was doing a slalom between them, and then he had the bright idea that he would try to run right through one. And uh, as he says later, he says, it's not a big tornado. It's only an E1. Yeah. It's only 70 miles an hour. He must have had some scotch on board, too. Been on like a top. <laughs> and uh, so what happened was he can't, you can't go right through it, aim at the middle, and you're going to bounce off the side, which is just what happened to him. And uh, shown this film, a Coast Guard uh, representative says, geez, Louise, he's not even wearing a life jacket. You would think if you were going to do something that crazy to start with, Put yeah. on a life jacket, prepared, yeah. if ever you're going to put on a life jacket. 
Um, you know, we may talk about safety. Yeah, well, I think that here, goes back to his diet again. Yeah, tried to uh, run through one and bounced off the side. And, hell, oh, it's only 70-mile-an-hour tornado. Come on. <laughs> um, I would uh, not even stick with the slalom. I'd head in the other direction. That's just yeah. me. But, you know, I think there's plenty enough natural trouble out on the water without courting it. So. Yeah, you see enough crazy drivers in the road, and, you know, there's some on the water, too. Yeah. So, anyway, that's uh, most of the marine items i brought i have one from from our friend jeff gold um jeff has been working on the c charles w morgan in mystic connecticut re uh rebuilding that for uh, a uh i guess i'll call it a a a revoyage sale next summer going out to apologize to the to the whales as jeff says but uh, I asked him how far along it was and if it had been rigged because I knew it had been launched earlier this year. And he wrote back saying that it has not been rigged yet, but they're going to be rigging it uh, in about a week on Friday the 17th, I think, maybe the 18th, but in, in about a week. And this is interesting. Uh, when they step the masts for it, it has three masts, and they're going to step it in sections. The lower section goes first, obviously. An 1841 coin goes under the foremast. A 1941 coin goes under her mainmast. That was the year that she came to Mystic originally, 1941. And then a 2013 coin is going to be going under the mizzenmast. I think Giffy would appreciate the the traditionalism of putting a coin under your mast there. You may as well cross all your T's and dot all your I's if you're, if you're you know, uh, launching the old boat. And mm-hmm. I guess uh, I'd like to see how they did that, too. I, uh, you know, uh, wouldn't poo-poo them for not using traditional methods. Oh, no, they're going to use a crane. crane. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and, geez, uh, it's just amazing. Uh, you know, uh, we're talking about uh, Casey this morning brought us in T-shirts of uh, the old Clipper Ship Red Jacket they built on the shore in Rockland. Back in the 1850s, right? Oh, that's right. And yeah. they did the same. They put those boats together quicker without power tools than we can almost do it nowadays, you know, yep. it seems anyway in the rearview mirror. It looks thumbs. easy in the rearview mirror, doesn't it? Building yes, it outside it without power tools and stuff. But um, So anyway, uh, yeah, Charles W. Morgan down Charles there at w. the Morgan Mystic did, Shipyard. Did a good job on her, too. Said uh, Jeff says she's nice and tight. Her bilge hasn't been pumped in more than two weeks. So there you go. That's a good one. If you're down in Mystic, uh, stop by the Charles W. Morgan and say hello from the Boat Talk, guys. Hear the old boat joke about the fisherman uh, was after uh, after his boat builder buddy. Geez, you got to tighten up my bilge. You got to tighten up my bilge. Finally did. His bilge stopped leaking. How you like that? He goes, ow, now it stinks. (laughs) (laughs) Boy. So Okay. Boat humor. Sorry. We're doing boat talk this morning. (laughs) Alan Sprague and Mike Joyce sitting in. This is just uh, one of the one of the many great spoken word programs here on Community Radio WERU FM Blue Hill, and uh, we appreciate all the people who uh, help support Community Radio and keep a sh- program like this going. Just and turned twenty five. We did. We yeah. did. And I believe um, the apprentice shop is what fifteen? No, twenty five. Also, is that uh, true? the apprentice shop is forty two years old this 42. year. Forty two. Yeah, Ooh, the boy. sailing program that I'm mostly involved with is fifteen years old. Fifteen. This that's year. right. All the fifteen. 
And you can't just hang around and pile up these years either. And if we could stay on the community radio theme for a minute, I heard great stuff about the show in Ellsworth the other night at the Grand Sunday uh, Night. Yes. Uh, no Paul Stuckey, I guess. Sold out. Thank you. Uh, all, all teary-eyed and uh, everybody all, you know, feeling all uh, just uh, warm and fuzzy, I hear it was. So... Um, but the community radio station, again, we do boat talk. Uh, Alan and, and I were asked to sit in on this uh, years ago. Um, we didn't exactly start it. Uh, Maynard Bray and Joel White were the original boat talk hosts years ago, and they were kind of talked into it by uh, Kathy uh, Melio back in the day, you yeah. know, thinking that we needed this on our community radio station, mm -hmm. and here we are years later still doing it, as well as dog talk. Baby talk. Um, talk and of the towns. Talk of the towns. There's lots of other talk here at 10 o'clock uh, most days here. There is a uh, local, uh, not all local, but uh, a largely local uh, raft of call-in uh, locally hosted shows where we'll have, uh, you know, local guests here, like Casey from the uh, Apprentice Shop mm -hmm. in. And uh, it's kind of a cool thing to have the community radio. Speaking um, of call-in, though, I should give you the number. Yeah. one eight six six. Six two five nine three seven eight. We have somebody standing by already. I was going to say uh, just to finish it. Uh, not only celebrate it, but support it. Okay, you got the phone number there, and and uh, you know that concert was a benefit the other day, and and it needs support. And so, good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Good morning. This is Captain Yo in Tremont. Good morning, Yo. I had a comment to offer about power tools. Power tools are called labor saving because you don't have to hire as many people. In the 19th century, uh, even a large ship could be built fairly rapidly because they had enormous crews. And the shipbuilding along the coast here employed thousands of people, which uh, with the advent of power tools is no longer true. Nowadays, you gotta wait for your turn at the planer, and of course, that slows the job down. Thanks so much for putting on this program, and thank you to everyone for supporting Community Radio. Thank you, Yo. It's one eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight. Another thing that the old fellows did building these uh, old boats, and if you ever want to uh, just get a great book about Maine history, in fact, there's a uh, uh, two volumes of it. It's called The Day's Work, William Bunting, and these are photographs. Uh, they've been re. re uh, Doing them in the uh, oh uh, uh, the the uh, boat newspaper there, but anyway, Main, Main, Coastal, Main News? Coastal News, yes, uh, been doing them uh, way back when column. Oh yeah, and uh, one side will be a historic photo of somebody building a boat, and the whole other side of the page will be the caption uh, explaining what's going on. And one of the things they did with those old boats, they did a lot of work off site. For instance, uh, a lot of the timber did not come locally from Maine forests, come from southern forests, the uh, uh, oak and, and uh, yellow pine that they had. And they would go into uh, Georgia or North Carolina forests with patterns and cut as much wood right out next to the tree as they could before they had that thing hauled down to Maine, stand up, and uh, start looking like a boat. Mm -hmm. Yeah, You're it's right. kind of interesting. We have another phone call. Let's go to that good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. You do, and I just want to let you know how much I love this program. I grew up um, in Old Lyme, Connecticut. My father had a boat yard right on the Connecticut River called the Saybrook Marine Service, and that was back when boats were hulls of wood. And I was lucky enough to go with him every Saturday to the yard and got into all sorts of trouble, all sorts of projects, 
hung around the, the men that were there repairing and building, and this takes me back, and I love your yarns and your history, and I just love this program. I look forward to it every week. So just want to let you know I'm a fan. Oh, thank you. You, uh, How do you uh, get on the water nowadays? Uh, a kayak. <laughs> hey, if you only had to have one boat, that yeah. would be the one right there. Yeah, but I grew up sailing a lot, so I, you take me back. I love it. Well, there's other people's boats, too, is the uh, uh, one of the other good answers to that, you know? Uh, yeah, I know, but I'm sort of stuck here in Appleton. But um, I get out on the water. If I don't get out on the water, there is so much water around me that I visit and sit by and sit in on rocks. And, yeah. Water's good. I need the water. I'm a fish. <laughs> yeah, it's too bad our friend uh, Captain Giffy Full wasn't here this morning. He grew up in a boatyard, too, so yeah. he's Sounds never like been right <laughs> since, and, and we can understand, say. It was wonderful. We can well, understand. Carry on. Thank you. Thank you. Thank Good you. morning. Well, Casey, let's let's jump right down to uh, Rockland while we have the chance. Yeah. You, you, as you said, have been doing the sailing program for 15 years. Let's Let's go back to the first year. Yeah, well, uh, Rockland Community Sailing started a lot like WERU Radio. Uh, it was a lot of citizens, uh, a woman named Woofie Parker and Ken Rich, who used to be the harbor master down there, and Doug Pope, the sailmaker. Charles Falkingham worked at Spears Lumber. And these guys asked the question, how come there aren't kids sailing in Rockland Harbor? You know, Maine has this tremendous, rich sailing heritage. And uh, they set about to do something about that and started out with eight wooden Optimus prams and broomsticks for mass and uh, simple sails and uh, first couple of years I got up to about 80 sailors and uh, here we are 15 years later doing about 200 to 250 youth a summer or a season I should say and uh, we also do some adult sailing as well and that's what really makes it special is that the, the community behind Rock and Community Sailing really supports it. Um, you mentioned uh, Kiwi Magic going 27 knots at night uh, well, that same kind of psych and energy is what drives uh, our program. Once you get a youngster out on a boat going fast with the wind whipping through his hair and uh, trying to figure out how to steer and sail that boat, to them a little eight-foot opti feels like a giant clipper ship. And uh, after they stop spinning and turning and deal with the winds and the waves and figure out how to go in a straight line or go wherever they want, and they come in and derig that boat, and I tell you, they walk off the dock a little bit prouder, a little bit more respect for the water, which is something that guy in that power boat with the water spouts could have used. Maybe he should have been in the sailing program. He would at least learn how to wear a life jacket and uh, how to uh, respect uh, Mother Nature. And uh, that's really the power of the youth program. And I think it's what really uh, the thing that we offer that um, you don't have to sell it. Once the sailors get out there and experience it, like, they, like sailors have been doing for generations, um, it's a real sense of accomplishment. It's a real sense of um, uh, self-confidence. Uh, you got to work as a team. You got to work together. Uh, and those are the powerful things about the youth selling program that have uh, helped Rockland's program grow. We started as just a summer program. One of the first things we did was introduce after-school sailing because the uh, kids in the summer wanted to keep sailing in this beautiful fall weather and even in the spring. And that was really great because, uh, like any organization in Maine, we love folks from away. We love our local folks. And when you look out there in the spring and the fall, and it's whether it's the high school sailing teams or the after-school sailors, those are our kids out there. 
uh, shivering and smiling <laughs> and tacking and whipping around and capsizing and rescuing their boats. And uh, that really makes it part of Maine's heritage. And to me, it's uh, uh, breaking down this stereotype that sailing is just for like wealthy people who sail up in the summers or for uh, just elites has been uh, a big part of the program as well because we all know the sea really doesn't care how big your boat is, how wealthy you are, where you come from, what you do. Uh, the sea is a great equalizer and it's the great leveler. Uh, it's also a great leveler for boys and girls both. Girls can sail as good as boys and in our high school program it's really cool to have a co-ed sport where mm. Uh, the, the playing field is really fairly equal, and at all levels of, of uh, sailboat racing, from uh, what we do right on up to high-level college racing, uh, girls can and routinely do beat the boys. Um, so I really like seeing these things exposed to, to, the, to the young people and see, being involved with the program that helps make that happen. One of the favorite things we like to say on Boat Talk over and over again is experience is one of the things you can't fake. And for those kids to get experience under supervision, with training, surrounded by their peers, having a having a game at the same time, I mean, how cool is that? Yeah, it's it's wicked cool. What keeps them back, keeps them coming back again and again. And um, I think, uh, you know, when you when you're sailing a boat fast and you've got all these other boats sailing around you. You develop a lot of uh, quick reactions, decision-making, control. Uh, <laughs> at first, when you're on a sailboat, it seems like a bunch of lines, like a bunch of spaghetti. Sure. And the sails are flapping, and, and you're not sure what's going on. But pretty soon, you, you get in tune with the boat, and, um, and that uh, brings a, a very strong sense of accomplishment. And you're doing something a little different. It's not like uh, another sport where maybe a you, you mess up a play in soccer or football, and I love playing soccer, you can kind of stop and the earth is just there, you know, and you can think about it. Well, the sailboat's always moving. It heightens your awareness. It he heightens your sense of, uh, of, of uh, being cognizant of the situation. And uh, I just think it gives it a certain edge that uh, really helps kids uh, deal with not only their, their racing and sailing and fun on the water, but also with other things in life where you've got to kind of stay aware of things and, and uh, not just stand still. So. Mm. Now, uh, the summertime, we've learned, is all about the kids. When the kids go back to school, summer is officially over, but uh, summer is officially over is when the high school sailing season starts. Yeah, our high school sailing when season. When ev everybody else is pulling out of the water. Yeah, yeah, you look out in Rock and Harbor, like, end October or early April, and, and that's, uh, that's our high school sailing teams. Um, it's been really, really cool to see uh, some schools down in our area, uh, Camden High School, Oceanside High School, except high school sailing at a, as a, at a club-level sport. And uh, someday there are students and, te and, and teachers and parents can work towards varsity. But right now, just to get club-level acceptance, we were sailing for nine years before that happened, and uh, it was so nice to, for the kids to get the recognition for all their hard work and sailing on the water. But uh, many, many times I get people looking out and going, what are you doing sailing out there this time of year? Are you crazy? Are you nuts? Uh, but we, it's been a it's been a growing uh, learning curve for for our sailors. Um, we wear wetsuits and or dry suits. We almost all wear dry suits now. Mm. Um, as you mentioned, we all wear life jackets all the time. It's it's a given. It, you know, you tend to almost walk home in them after work. You get so used to wearing them. Mm -hmm. uh, we have chase boats out there uh, in case boats do capsize or if the weather gets too bad too fast uh, for any emergencies. And um, so it keeps it really safe, but you're still pushing the envelope. You know, you still can flip. You know, uh, you still can um, 
you still can uh, experience a lot of heavy winds and and uh, and rip around out there. Uh, but the cost you pay if you do flip is having someone there to help you out and figure it out. We actually do practice flipping and learning to flip the boat back over. You uh, got to. We don't call them capsizes. We call them self-rescues. And in some ways, that's the most empowering thing you can do because you can go out in a boat and do the worst thing you possibly can think, flip it over, and know just what to do to flip it up and keep sailing again. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, from there on, it's all learning and speed and finesse and wind and waves and, and, um, and uh, sailing techniques and things like that. So. Giffy, we mentioned earlier, <clears throat> is not here today. He wanted to come today, but unfortunately he has a, a, a dental emergency. Uh, we probably know that drill. Um, ah. So anyway, he's on his way to the dentist, but he uh, he did want to be here, as I said, and he said, so at least ask me, ask one question for me is, um, it's great you're teaching all these kids to sail. He thinks it's wonderful to get kids on the water. But uh, he said, what do you do also to teach them how to uh, take care of the boat, boat maintenance, and how, or even how to furl the sail or how to you know, treat uh, the boat so it'll be in good shape next year? Oh, that's a great question. Who owns these boats? Who owns the, if it was a football team, be the shoulder pads and the shin guards, okay? Who owns, who owns the, uh, you know, like, say, the football pants here? Who owns the well, gear? Well, the, the boats are owned by Rock and Community Sailing at the Apprentice Shop. The whole yep. organization has, you know, invested over the years to grow the fleet from that simple eight wooden opties to... And we built them, too, didn't we? Yeah, the apprentices yeah. Uh, built uh, the, the wooden opties. Uh, we often do use fiberglass boats now, uh, both the 420s, which are two-person, 14-foot racing sloops, and the Opties are a single-sail, one-person boat, uh, because the high volume of use means a high volume of repair, and the fiberglass just lends itself to quick repairs like that more so than wood, uh, and that's for the good of the program and the good of the sailing. However, if you just take a, a simple sailing class at Rock and Sailing, we rig as a team, we de-rig as a team. So from day one, the sailors are uh, folding the sails, rolling them, storing them in the right place. Uh, they completely rig and de-rig the boat themselves to learn how they go together, but also to take care of them. Uh, by the time you're into high school sailing, the high school team has a long-standing tradition of um, breaking out and rigging all the 420s in the spring for the organization. And in the fall, they de-rig the boats and put them all away. And this is great for a lot of good reasons. Of course, it's, it's great for them as sailors. Uh, if you know how to fix and rig your boat, if you're at a regatta and, some, and the boat you're on breaks, you know how to fix it, you keep sailing. It mm -hmm. makes you actually uh, faster and, and more prepared. Sailing a boat is tuning the rig, and these small, lightweight dinghies are very responsive. So getting different rig tensions right and balance and trimming the boat out is very important for your speed. A tiny adjustment can make a big difference, and you know how to do that by taking the boats apart and putting them together. And the third thing I think which is, is more important just for the sailors and individuals is that you're taking care of, of the fleet. You're taking care of the boat. You're helping taking care of the program. You have some ownership. You have some contribution to it. You're giving back to the community. You're giving back to the, to the, to the whole organization. And um, those kind of deeper qualities that come out to me are, are uh, almost as important as, as sailing fast and trying to get the line first because kids need to learn how to care for things uh, beyond what it does just for them and how to give back and be part of a community. And um, so we have that as one of the core values right, right from the get-go. And then some of the sailors come in in the off-season too and we'll work on you know repairing things in the winter that broke or, um, you know, we're basically in the business of getting ex 
inexperienced beginners on boats over and over and over. So it's not like when you get your own boat and you make a couple mistakes and you never make them again. So we have some of the hardest working boats in Rock and Harbor outside the commercial fishermen and lobstermen. And uh, so it's great that the, the, the kids help uh, maintain that and, and take care of them. Huh, that's pretty interesting. Um, it occurred to me a while ago that I think maybe several teenagers may be uh, getting more interested in sailing from watching the America's Cup that was just held recently in that I think a lot of kids think that sailing is just kind of slow and boring, but then when they watch the America's Cup and these things that are up on the, up on their fins and going 48 miles an hour and becoming fairly dangerous, it's sort of uh, seems like more like uh, skiing or snowboarding than actually sailing to me. And I think that there is a certain lot of teenager, linking back to my own youth, that is kind of a uh, enjoys the, the, the thrill of, of, of speed. And um, so we're going to skip, uh, switch gears slightly and talk with our friend Ben Ellison, who was actually out at the America's Cup for a couple of races out there about the uh, the, the America's Cup. And uh, did you, uh, Casey, did you watch the America's Cup? I watched uh, a few of the races. Um, uh, I, I, yeah, I've got to say I didn't watch them all either. But the, uh, Ben's going to speak particularly to the uh, – to the television broadcast where it showed all the uh, the distances between boats and the angles that they were going at and the track that they were on. and It's pretty amazing uh, technical stuff. Yeah, I feel like we're really seeing a new slice of, of sailing now uh, yeah. with the America's Cup. And the 420s we sail, they get up on a plane similar to the to the, uh, the, the America's Cup boats. Of course, they get up on their foils and just foil. Mm -hmm. But when the 420s get up on a plane and you're really skimming along, uh, it, it's really a, a tremendous sense of speed. Uh, I liken it to going down a hill. On, going down a hill. If you go down a hill on, in a Cadillac coasting, maybe you go 30 miles an hour. It doesn't feel like much. You get on a skateboard, go down that hill at 30 miles an hour, you feel like you're really flying. And yeah. a sailboat, it's the same, same sensation of speed. Uh, we often talk about them like little jet fighters out there whipping around. Hmm. So. Hmm. so we're going to go to our friend Ben Ellison. Good morning, Ben. Hey, Alan. How are you doing? I'm, I'm good. And, and, and I just want to say, I, I, I didn't pick up the beginning of the show, but I believe that's Casey from uh, uh, the Community Sailing Program it in is. Rockland. It is. Casey Heinegger uh, is right here. Right, which I think is a terrific operation. I know several parents with kids in it, and I've watched it. And A1, Casey, good work. Thank you. It, I'd be interested to talk with the crews from the America's Cup and see how many of them started in uh, high school sailing programs. I bet you there was quite a large number. Uh, absolutely. I, I I just finished a book called The Mechanic and the Billionaire, which is about Larry Ellison and his lust for sailing. He was actually uh, inspired by the voyage of the Dove. Remember the kid who sailed around the world? Um, documented in National Geographic, and uh, many of those, Jimmy Spithill, his skipper from Australia, started out in a very modest, small boat at a modest yacht club there, and, and uh, now he's probably the best match racer in the world. Hmm. Well, since uh, we talked to you on Boat Talk last month, Ben, you've been out to San Francisco and actually been to the races now. I have to say I don't have cable TV. I'm down to one over-the-air channel, and, and it did not hardly even make the evening news, uh, you know. But um, 
It is a uh, been described as one of the greatest sports comebacks of all time. America over the New Zealanders, the Kiwis there, and I'd have to also point out that in New Zealand they're probably quite a lot more aware of this than we were just generally in America. But, but again, it was televised on the cable TV, and so you were there in person, Ben. Tell us about it. I, I was. It was only for one day of racing. It was uh, September 12th, and I was a guest of a um, Auckland electronics company in one of about 70 uh, people that got to go in the New Zealand compound that day and see the boat boats, you know, the shops and everything, and then go out on the course in a tour boat, watch the races, and then come back and watch them take it all apart and... Um, didn't really talk to any team make, team members except a sailmaker, um, and the day I was out there was um, really an illusion. I, I I thought it might sort of decide the series, race of sixes and, and seven. Um, the Kiwis have been doing so well up to that time, and they won both those races, no problem. Um, the, all the Kiwis I was with, you know, related businesses, friends of the of the organization and government officials. They, they, I mean, we were talking as the boat came back in of how the Kiwis were going to run the cup in Auckland in a few years. Mm -hmm. And, um, of course the entire thing turned around. I I left San Francisco with an illusion of what was going to happen. And it's pretty amazing. Uh, It was amazing. Yeah. I I don't know if if the uh, decision is in just what the Americans, uh, Cup guys did to make their boat that much faster, but it seemed like a, as you say, a remarkable turnaround. Well, it's notable that they had their boat remeasured every single day, which meant they made enough changes in the boat that they needed the measurement committee to check that the boat was still legal. Hmm. Uh, the New Zealanders were changing too. This is a, it's a very much a developmental class. They don't, they're still learning how to sail those boats and how to. Tuna, modem, as they call it. Um, there, you know, there've just never been boats remotely like these ones. And they're uh, large catamarans that have uh, hydrofoils underneath them. That again, they come right up out of the water. Um, they are extremely fast, and also, uh, again, um, you were talking about how they're changing the boat all the times. So we have. We have our uh, hardware, and then we have tactics, right? So we have the actual uh, two things we're, we're working on here to make the boat go faster. What do they actually do to the boat kind of things? Uh, well, some of it's a bit of a mystery, but um, apparently <laughs> uh, the U.S. team uh, made their wing sail, put some more controls on their wing sails. The, the Kiwis were telling me early on that the advantage New Zealand has with had was that they could put twist into that wing, which helps them accelerate out of the maneuvers, jibes and tacks. And, and that was looking like a really critical factor early on. New Zealand would pop out of a maneuver. So would, uh, it would twist one way when they're turning right and then twist in the opposite direction when they're well, turning? Well, they could just control the twist up at the top of the sail. Huh. And I guess it increases acceleration. Boy. You know, it's, it's hard for us to comprehend what those boats are doing. I mean, one of the things about being on the water was the moment I was watching those boats going away from me at about 35 knots, and the day was not very windy. It was about 15 or 16, 
they had their sails in flat as board, and the wind was coming over my shoulder. They were sailing downwind at about over 30 knots wow. in 15, 16 knots of apparent wind, hmm. of true wind. So they are always going to windward. They're, they're always in a gale. Um, and to get the boat, you know, it doesn't just easily head downwind and pick up all that speed. You have to kind of talk it into that. You have to maneuver it into that. You'll see the tracks are kind of wiggledy as, wiggledy as they do a maneuver as they kind of head upwind to, to put the apparent wind ahead of them. That picks up speed. They pop up on their foils, and then they bear off. All that happens really quickly. Hmm. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of, they're actually quite delicate, I think. The Keeping them on the foils was a big deal. Um, yeah. Toward the end, both boats were foiling to windward, which no one thought was possible. They were doing it. Yeah, and as you mentioned, the, the tracks, uh, we're getting to the technical side now for the TV watchers, the tracks are very interesting, little dots that showed, you know, just where the boat was you know, a few seconds ago. Um, yeah. Why don't you talk a little bit about how they get all that stuff happening in real time? Um, yeah, I got to go to the World Series, of the America's Cup World Series in San Diego two years ago when they were just um, developing all this technology for um, umpiring and managing the race course and broadcasting the video. It's all kind of combined. And it all has to do with being able to uh, identify where the boats are super accuracy. They know where those boats are on the course and where all the marks are um, within less than an inch. And also all the, you know, if the boat is healed, everything about it. So uh, it's very high-speed uh, augmented GPS. They put up their own GPS reference station. They have a high-speed wireless network that, that they're running. So, um, you know, what you see on television, and I saw an awful lot of people um, get turned on to this racing by watching it on TV. It was actually very available on YouTube. An awful lot of people watched it on YouTube Um and I was able to, I've been doing a lot of traveling, I was able to see it in, even on an airplane. It wasn't that hard. You know, they did get into NBC Sports Channel, which really helped disseminate the information a lot. Um, you know, the only way you can overlay that information on the actual helicopter shot is to know precisely where the helicopter is and where the, the marks are, the boats, even all the support vessels. And they've got that down. There was no, you know, I never saw a glitch. And, uh, you know, we never had an argument among the teams about um, who was who had the right of way, who got too near a boundary. By this time, the system was so accurate that they'd stopped arguing with each other about it. They couldn't, you know, the umpires were right. They had been working on this for quite a while. So, so that, that kind of, nonsense of fighting about things went away in this America, America's Cup series. You know, I think it was great. It's what you, you didn't notice. You weren't being bothered by uh, a protest and stuff like that. <clears throat> when there were penalty protests, they were solved immediately by the umpires, most of whom were looking at um, monitors because they could see the boats better on a monitor than they could on the water, believe it or not. 
So the Kiwis got a little cocky. They got a little out front. They got they're looking in the future instead of in the rearview mirror about the that, pesky that Americans. That was the guess, Mike. That was the guess. The team, the one team <laughs> guy I met who was a sailmaker uh, was much more, um, you know, it's not over till it's over. I think the whole team took that attitude. I watched a bunch of the press conferences, and um, they were pretty humble and careful in a good professional sports kind of way. Um, but, yeah. Honestly, honestly, though, coming back from an 8-1 to one deficit, nobody does that. And I can't nobody. understand how it wasn't more celebrated in America. Really. Uh, not that we're looking for anything to cheer about lately, but, you know. Um, one of the greatest sports comebacks ever. And, and again, barely made the television news on, on my one channel there. So, uh, just saying, uh, you know, uh, if I wasn't aware, I probably wouldn't have been aware. And, and uh, what a great American story. And Again, I uh, don't know if that's because it's on the water or it's yachty or what. Yeah. So, so Ben. If- well, I follow. I, I follow a. There's a website called Sailing Anarchy, which is for racing sailors, and there have been an awful lot of skeptics on there about the whole program. And and during the course of the racing, a whole lot of them, you know, did a 180 and, and admitted that that these boats uh, were exciting to watch. That. The tactics were part of it, not just raw boat speed and design. Um, in the community of sail racing, there was a big switcheroo. I mean, basically the concept was pr- proved to be exciting and interesting. There's some problems with it. It's way too expensive, so that's why there weren't a lot of challengers. There were really only three challengers, and they were hoping for ten. I think that's one of the things they'll be looking to change in the future. I don't know how, hmm. um, but I, you know, and I saw some of my family uh, got into it because I was watching it on TV when I was home. And but but it's also a little difficult the fact that there was one American grinder on the American boat. Um, it's hard to be rooting for USA when <laughs> there are no American. <laughs> well, who who was everybody else now? <laughs> Mostly. Kiwis. Kiwis. Oh, my God. Uh, Kiwis, <laughs> Australians, English. Uh, there was one, you know, one afterguard guy, John Kostecki, who was the tactician for uh, Oracle USA, and he was from the Bay Area. So that was a great connection, except he got uh, uh, put off the boat after after race five for making some mistakes and replaced by an English Olympic sailor, Ben Ainsley. Mm. So... He was the last of these sort of Americans you could really identify with. Hmm. So you mentioned the other members of your family were watching it too, and I, I, I was thinking that teenagers, if they saw any of this TV, uh, of the, would be interested in, in going to a place like the apprentice shop and learning how to sail. Do you, do you think that sort of would have the effect too? I mean, think back um, when you were a teenager. The, yeah, I, I, I mean. Honestly, I've never been a very active sailing racer. I'm more a cruiser, and there's they're really kind of two different mm. worlds. Here, here. <laughs> <laughs> I use the boat. Yeah. Um, but I, I've had an appreciation for it. It's just kind of fascinating, the, the design and the politics of it and the, the kind of the history. Um, um, you know, the goal of the Oracle team and the people who organized this race, which was you know, Larry Ellison, that's how the America's Cup works. The defender kind of gets to make the rules, was to try to make it a 
like NASCAR or something, a more exciting professional sport and attract young people. And, you know, they, they had free rock concerts and stuff like that. A lot of that stuff didn't work that well. It's mm. just too much of a stretch in this country. Other countries, it's really different. I mean, 70% of the TVs in, in New Zealand were tuned into these races. They are totally into the sport. Wow. Um, but they also have they have people on every single boat. <laughs> you know, yeah, they, they that, dominate it. Yeah, you but know, I can add to this. You know, it was nice from the other side. It was nice for kids in our sailing program to see their sport oh, right. splashed all over YouTube, splashed all over uh, Google, splashed all over the front page of the news. So I think it's having a, kind of a reverse effect in, in a good way in the sense that, wow, sailing is now getting perceived as cool and not some unusual niche sport out on the water. And I, I think it was really empowering for all of the folks out there sailing to be like, wow, look at look at this sport of sailing. It's it's totally amazing. It's really fast and furious. And, and, and we're connected to that a little bit. You know, we're trying to do the same thing, you know, on the water. So I think that it had a, um, a, a an empowering effect that way. It's like, wow, we're doing something that's not, you know, weird or unusual anymore. So Fat, you said it fast and furious and and the word NASCAR has been linked to the America's Cup. How can we NASCARize it and get the audience uh, like say pumped? Yeah. You know? But again, the yeah. audience doesn't have a foil catamaran to relate to personally. Um hasn't been for ride on one, that you know, that sort of thing. And and again it, it does have barriers. Interesting. Well as Casey says, I think skimming along in a laser could be pretty close. You know, just for the thrill of it. I'm already thinking about getting the high school kids on high-speed catamarans with uh, high-tech components, so half of them be hauling on, on all the different lines, and the other half be on their laptops at the same yeah. time, okay? And <laughs> right. There are boats. You don't, ha- you don't need a huge me- mega-million-dollar uh, America's Cup boat to, to plane and go fast. There are uh, Olympic classes like uh, boats called 29ers and 49ers, and they do the same thing. They get up on their foils. Even though they're a monohull, they're just basically a shell with a couple of a rudder and a centerboard sticking down, and they get up and do the same thing at, at believe me, a, a fraction of the cost. Yeah. But and our four twenties, when they get up and playing, let me tell you, you know you're doing something. You're you just start giggling. You almost can't even sail. You're just <laughs> skipping wave to wave, and it's a pretty awesome thing. So nice, Ben. Yeah. The fall's coming on. What's what's uh coming on for you this fall? I get to stay home this month and use my boat. Um, I'm very happy about it. Oh. Not in a rush to take the boat out of the water? No. Why? <laughs> right. Good man. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, a lot of people, that's what people do nowadays, you know. They take the boat out. It's October, haven't you heard? Those gunk holes are there year-round. Huh. Yeah, we'll be sailing well, right up to... i got a power boat with a cabin, and that's, you know, that, that's nice. But I do end up taking stuff off the boat when it's really cold and and wondering why I do that, but I, I'm just hardcore. But there are and there are adjustments for the seasons, no doubt about it. Well, yeah. Ben, we'll be down there till October 24 in Rockland Harbor. You can swing on by any time if you want to do some sailing. <laughs> well, thanks, Casey. I really appreciate your enthusiasm. I'm glad to hear the kids were inspired. You know, there was a, um, a youth uh, regatta out there in San Francisco using the AC-45s, which are what this World Series was done in. And I think, I, I presume they're going to start that up again. And, you know, they, that's quite amazing technology. Those are one-design boats. They built 
I think about a dozen of them, and they had a ship that could carry them and all the sport vessels and all the containers full of computers and broadcasting stuff to any port in the world and set up and race. And they 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 didn't get the response they'd hoped for, but they raced. Oh gosh, several times in Italy, England, Portugal, Newport, San Diego, San Francisco. Um, it's like a exciting race course in a kit, and they're doing all this racing. It should be noted, really close to shore. They call it stadium sailing. I mean, they were all that racing was happening right along the city of San Francisco waterfront. Hey, they they get. They can bring them up to Rockland anytime. I guarantee you we'll have plenty of people to crew on them. <laughs> right along the breakwater. It'd be a great stadium. We could build some seats out there. It would be. Yeah. Yeah, and again, it's uh, back to car racing, the Formula One idea, you know, yeah. put it right where people can stand and see it. Yeah, yeah. They bra- say that the crews of those boats are, are working at, at like 90%, um, you know, heart heartbeat levels. I mean, it, it's very athletic being on those boats. Hmm. Yeah, and, and and that transfer they're trying to do at the, at the uh, America's Cup is 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 critical too. And one thing we've done in Rockland, we've teamed up with the Rockland Yacht Club, and now they do one race on a Thursday night in the summer, and we put youth sailors on every boat in the race. So we have some of our youth sailors now who get the chance to get out on a keel boat and start driving with a giant wheel or a giant tiller, and Excellent. they start making that transfer. That can they can sail way beyond just a, a week summer program, even though that's empowering and a lifetime memory. But they can they can uh, sail. But that's called the Youth Keelboat Regatta. Uh, it was sponsored by Gamora this year, the Gulf of Maine Ocean Racing Association, which was a real treat. And uh, <laughs> the 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 minor registration fees of fifty bucks a boat goes to raise scholarships, so we can keep the sailing in Rockland accessible to all kids. That's good. So uh, it's right in line with trying to. We're hoping someday some of our kids will be out there with Ben whipping around the America's Cup. <laughs> Alan's the punny one here. Did anybody hear him when he said it was sponsored by Gamora? Yes. You know, Sodom and Gamora. <laughs> yeah. Gamora, come on. <laughs> Spelled differently. Gulf, Gulf of Maine Ocean <laughs> Racing Association. That's what I heard yeah. there. Yeah. Just, that, that's a dangerous pun room you're yeah. um, I'm going to stay I'm away I'm sorry from that for one. it, to tell you the truth. So, you yeah, know, they work just, hard organizing the racing all, off, uh, all up and down the coast of Maine and out offshore and have really played a big role in kind of uh, putting Maine on the map as far as really cool, interesting ocean races. So, hmm. good thing. Well, Ben, thank you very much for the update. I think we'll have to uh, keep you on file here for, for some more information. My, my pleasure. And, and do know you can go to YouTube, America's Cup channel, and see a whole lot of this stuff. It's not going to go away. Yeah, and you do have a good website yourself, too, panbo.com. Yeah, That's very P-A-N-B-O. interesting. P-A-N-B-O.com. All about marine electronics. And I, of course, I wrote about the racing a little bit. Had to. A lot of good blogs there. And still on the back page of uh, Maine Boats, Homes, and Harbors magazine? Yeah, kind of every other issue now. That's my my, my cruising side, my, my gentler side. You're doing research for that right now. And ex- explain exactly what you do there? Uh, I, I, I write about places you can go by boat in, in Maine. Islands, restaurants, little out-of-the-way ports. Try to do stuff that's not in the... Uh, you know, popular cruising guides, be informative. I make little charts, show how to get into a place. Um, I like that. A lot of those are online at, at uh, mainboats.com uh, called Cruising with uh, Gizmo. Calling with Gizmo yes. is the name of the column. 
and of course you go all these you make the sacrifice to go all these places to try all this personally is the is the whole whole thing there so yeah it's a yeah. wonderful <laughs> gig man <laughs> wonderful gig yeah good I'm talk working. to you I'm working when I'm cruising yeah <laughs> Ben's former uh, WERU uh, programmer music programmer back in the day of some uh, skill and fame and repute uh, man we miss you here playing music sometimes too man well, thank you very much. Yes, yeah. I was on the wing for a while. Yeah, and good at it, too, I used to think. So there. Yeah. Thanks. All right, Ben Ellison on Boat Talk. Thank you, morning. Ben. Thank you, gentlemen. Uh, Casey, I think um, we only have just a few minutes left, but we should uh, say that there is more uh, opportunities for uh, youth sailing than just in Rockland, too. There's, uh, uh, at the MDAI Sailing Center. Um, yeah, that's a great point. Um, uh, when Rock and Community Sailing got going, of course, there were uh, uh, quite a few other sailing programs throughout the state. And I guess I'll start by saying one of the things we started in the summer was doing interclub racing, where we'd go to St. George Community Sailing, Rockport, Rockport Community Sailing, and some of the other local clubs just on an afternoon in race. And then with the high school program, as that developed, what really helped our program grow was that there's a lot of sailing in Portland at Sail, Maine. They have five or six high school teams there. Uh, over here at uh, Maine Maritime uh, Academy, they support high school sailing, and there's a couple of regattas there every year. And then down at MDI Community Sailing Center, uh, for the first time, we just went up there last Saturday and sailed on their boats. Um, and they've got a new kind of 420 called the Turbo 420. It's lighter weight. It's got some carbon fiber. They're faster. The winds were really light, like five to eight knots, and we still got all the races in. And so our sailors got to check out some new waters, check out some new boats, uh, and whether we're going to MDI or down to Sail Maine or, the, or any of the other uh, programs in, uh, on the coast of Maine that offer sailing, uh, that gives the sailors a, a, a new place to sail, uh, expands their horizons, they meet other sailors who are sailing, and it, it really takes you out of just Rockland Harbor and, and, and your own backyard. And um, so uh, when we first called down to Portland, to start high school sailing back in like 2003, they said two things. They said, it was a man named Dave Whiting. He goes, hey, I'll come up and help you with your first practice. And what are you doing this weekend? Do you want to come race? Yeah. <laughs> because once you get the kids out on the water and the parents seeing it and you see the dedication and hard work and fun and, and uh, involvement, uh, people just want to get involved. And, and that's helped grow uh, the number of volunteers who help us who – you know, might not have children in the program, but just are amazed to see these kids out there in April, you know, rigging the boats up and whipping around. And uh, that th those collaborations are critical uh, uh, for rock and community sailing that give us places to go sail. And conversely, places like Portland and MDI are thrilled that this is growing in the mid-coast because now they have another place to go to as mm -hmm. well. And they can check out Rock and Harbor and they only have to drive half as far for some of the regattas. And so bit that central location uh, plays into us, you know, continually growing and, and building this community sailing program. Um, of course, for our local mid-coast sailors, but uh, you reach way beyond, you know, the, the pun of, uh, you know, expanding your horizons is really not a pun. It's really what exactly happens, which is pretty cool. Um, one other thing I think is really cool to mention that um, is that we've recently piloted uh, a kind of sailing called adaptive sailing. Uh, much like adaptive skiing, Maine has a strong adaptive skiing program for people with disabilities. And uh, we've just started collaborating with a couple school groups and a couple of um, organizations that 
where, where people come down with disabilities and do some sailing on our boats. And um, that's a whole nother realm of sailing. Uh, it's, it's very powerful, very moving, and uh, we're trying to develop that as well. So uh, I, if, if anyone out there is interested in that kind of thing, please let us know because we need to bring people together to create that kind of a program within our greater community sailing op uh, options. Okay. We have made a, a link to the apprentice shop from our boattalk.org website. But why don't you just give contact information, too, for anybody who's listening right now? Yeah, if you want to contact us, uh, Rock and Community Sailing at the Apprentice Shop uh, is our phone number is 207-594-1800. Uh, and uh, our website is www.apprenticeshop.org. Usually if you Google Apprentice Shop or Rock and Community Sailing, you're going to get, get it right at the top of the mm -hmm. list. And uh, we're active on the water from April through October, and the apprentice shop is building amazing, beautiful wooden boats, you know, all year round. It's one of them places you can just walk right into. Yeah, and, you know, our kids get to come and sail, but then they look in that garage door and yeah. see what's going in there. And I think that's the same thing that inspired you guys <laughs> and got you into boat building as well. So that, that, that complete package is really a, a nice setup that we have. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we uh, were just mentioning handicap sailing. We got to mention Raw Faith the movie on the way out here. We showed it for what eighty, a hundred people down to Raw uh, Winter Harbor there mm -hmm. a few weeks back, and uh, extraordinarily well received. Uh, Greg Roscoe has won the, the uh, prize of gold at the Newburyport uh, Best Film Festival. Feature Film. Yeah, he's Best pretty proud of that. The, the movie is receiving excellent, excellent reviews. Highly recommended. And uh, uh, rawfaith.com. Rawfaithmovie.com. Yeah, if you want to check that out. So, And me and Alan are in it. Go figure. You a movie star? <laughs> me and Alan are. Well, that just killed it right there. <laughs> <laughs> Time for us to make room for Rich Hillsinger coming up next year with On the Wing on Community Radio, WERU-FM, Blue Hill, 89.9, 99.9 in Bangor, and around this wet world at WERU.org. Support for Boat Talk made possible in part by Gamble & Hunter Sailmakers, making sails for classic boats, cruising boats, and the main windjammers for 30 years. Near the harbor in Camden, gambleandhunter.net. Support for Boat Talk also comes from Windward Passage, a co-ed program providing Maine's middle and high school students ages 12 to 18 with opportunities